Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Fox. Planet Earth faces pollution, climate change, and new and re-emerging infectious diseases, and they are all linked. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help. In this episode, we're taking a look at the best ways to help people accept and understand that the climate is changing, how people are making it happen faster, and how the changes will affect us. We're chatting with Dr. Susanna Sandrin, Clinical Professor of Environmental Science and Science Education at Arizona State University. Dr. Sandrin specializes in communicating these risks starting from the youngest children. She works with children and their teachers as well as adults. She's an expert in hydrology, the water cycle. Susie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. After air, water is our most basic need. Can you tell us a little bit about the threat climate change poses to our water supply? Well, I think many people don't realize that climate change is not just global warming, but um, as our atmosphere warms globally, it impacts the water cycle and and how water is cycled throughout our globe. Um, So as a result, some places are experiencing more drought and other places are experiencing floods. Some places are experiencing both in different parts of the year. And so climate change is really an issue when we're talking about where's water now, how do we access it, um, and how much good water can we find in our local environments. Why is it so hard for people to accept and understand this? Well, like I said, I think a lot of times people are equating climate change just with the idea that it's warmer. In some parts of the world, we're not seeing as much warming as other parts of the world. So if you live in an area where you don't see these blazing hot days, um, where I'm located in Phoenix, Arizona, we're definitely seeing in the summers where it's much hotter than it was 20, 30, 50 years ago. But if you live in an area where you're not seeing that, you might think, well, this isn't really happening because you're not seeing it in your local environment, but you might be getting more rain. And so um, if you're experiencing more rain, you might not equate that with climate change because you don't hear about that in terms of global warming, um, but it is linked to warming of the atmosphere. Is there a better way to talk to people about these risks to help them understand? I think it's good just to explain that the regional impacts of climate change are different. And so what one region experiences is not going to be the same as another. And when we look at what's happening, we need to acknowledge that like what I'm experiencing in Phoenix, Arizona, which is drought and very hot summers, is not the same as what people are going to experience in other parts of the world. So that is important also to make sure that the information that's out there is accurate because sometimes people want to attribute everything to climate change. It turns off people that, you know, when they hear the wrong information, they just think, oh, that's not true. They, they just kind of write off all of the information about climate change that they hear because they sometimes get bad information. Um, so not everything in the world is caused by climate change and we have to acknowledge you know, some things are caused by, you know, when we have like a a deep freeze or a cold snap somewhere in the world, sometimes that's just because weather changes, right? (laughs) Like We can't cause, everything isn't climate change, but there's a lot of things that we can attribute to climate change. It's important to, of course, reach children. And that's something that you've spent much of your career doing. And I think it would be fair to say children have a natural interest in this kind of subject matter. 
I love working with children because children are naturally curious. So we haven't beaten all the curiosity out of them through <laughs> through the traditional educational system. And and I love teachers too. So I don't say that it's not any one individual teacher, but it's just the way that we kind of teach science often as these little nuggets of information instead of teaching it as a process. And so students often forget that they can have an integral part in contributing to how science, you know, contributing to the scientific community and um, scientific research. But children, they, they are naturally curious and they, they're always asking questions and they're always trying to figure out how they can experience science on a personal level. So if you talk about water cycle with a child, you really want to let them experience it. You want to do hands-on activities so they can see it and visualize it. And I don't think that's really that different for adults. You know, with adults, seeing is believing. We have to do the same thing with adults to help them remember sometimes their science. You've got a great platform. You're an advisor to a television or video series, The Octonauts. Can you tell us a little bit about that show? The Octonauts, they are a group of their animals. So they're animals that are acting as a person would act. And they're traveling around the world and they're rescuing other animals that are in trouble because of um, things that are happening to their environment. Sometimes these are a result of climate change. Sometimes they're a result of just their habitats have experienced some kind of disruption, like a storm, and they need help. So the octonauts travel around the world. They have these really cool gadgets and gizmos and vehicles that they use, and then they rescue animals that are in trouble. And along the way, they share a lot of information about ecosystems that they encounter and different environments, and they talk about issues that arise. So coastal erosion would be an issue that arises, and that's partially often due to climate change. How is this an effective way of educating kids, and and can you apply these principles to educating adults? The octonauts are fabulous because they're kind of goofy, so kids really respond to that. And honestly, everyone responds to goofiness and funny, funny stories. And I think it's a lot easier to digest scientific information when it's given to you or when it's um, delivered as a, as a story. And when there's some fun to it, um, even with the octonauts, there might be a little bit of, of fantasy involved. So it's mostly science, but there's, there's a storyline and the idea that these animals can really, I don't know, work with tools and do all this fun stuff is the fantasy part. Um, but it really helps students because they're, they're learning their content without even realizing that they're digesting scientific content. Hello, H2O. What secrets do you hold for me today? Hmm? Hydrology log with Lakuchi River. According to my salinity meter, the water here is very salty. Too salty for a freshwater river. How can you get so excited about a scurvy batch of water and a salty meter? I'm a hydrologist, Quasi. Water is my thing. Aye, but I'm a pirate, and I was hoping for a daring adventure on the high seas. <laughs> Not stomping in the low mud. Salty water could mean big trouble for the animals and plants that live here. It might even mean there's a ghost forest. A ghost forest? Now you're talking! And it sounds to me like it gives the children a sense of agency, a a sense of there's something that you can do. It's not just an insurmountable problem. 
Right. So they, when they see an issue, um, the octonauts are saying, and this is how we can react to this issue, or this is how we can help this community um, when they're experiencing this issue. So the octonauts are very, I mean, they're, they're, they're going around the world helping creatures. So it helps kids to see, okay, here's a problem. We can address it. And, and we just, but there's an urgency too, to their problems. So they always have to get there quickly and address it. And I think that really speaks to the issue of climate change is, you know, the the octonauts are acting now. And so they don't talk about, oh, it's, you know, human beings are causing this, but it helps us as adults maybe to remember that we can't put this off forever. Like it's happening now and it's, we don't act, it's just going to get worse. And what are some of the things that you think people should feel that they can do right now that won't necessarily ruin their lives. <laughs> right. Um, so they need to look, all of us need to look at our carbon footprint. So how are we adding to the issue? So it often, you know, I'm a college professor and my students, when they come in, they, they want to point to um, big companies and talk about all the bad things that are being done by big companies. But I always turn it and say, okay, that's important. But as you know, I drove here to campus to teach this lecture, right? I drove in a car. How is that impacting the environment? You um, got here in a car or a bus. You know, we all are impacting our environment in certain ways, and we all need to take a look at what we're doing. So what did you eat today? How did you get around? If you live in Phoenix, do you turn your thermostat to 65 degrees in the summer and, you know, and use a lot of energy to cool your environment? So there's a lot of things that we can all do. And they're little things. Uh, we don't have to change everything all at once, but we need to make little changes to, to be a better citizen of the world. You've got a, a series of your lectures on YouTube as well. Um there was one I saw where you talked about how the one of the early environmentalists, John Muir, took Teddy Roosevelt uh, to the forest and showed him. And, and that helped create this president who started the, the Park Service, the preservation of forest lands. Would that help if everybody got out and just kind of saw this stuff going on? I think it's important for everyone to experience natural environments so they can appreciate them. Right. And what does Earth look like in areas where we're not interfering with our environment as much? Um, so, yes, I think we all should take a friend out to a national park or, or a neighbor or a group of kids that maybe, especially if you live in a city and you, you know, a lot of kids don't have access to these natural spaces if they're living in very large urban environments. So yes, we all should get out and, and see that those natural spaces and appreciate how they function without our interference. So, you know, these some of these huge conserved spaces, um, they're living, all of the animals and the plants are living in this wonderful ecosystem that's functioning very well without us. And it's good for us to study that and see, okay, how are we impacting our environment and how can we try and make our environments in the urban areas kind of mimic these natural spaces? I don't know that it will solve all the problems. You know, if everyone got out and observed nature, sometimes we just go to these spaces and they seem very isolated. It makes us almost feel like, oh, everything's fine because we're in this beautiful space and we forget that the place where you live should also have natural 
ecosystems functioning. <laughs> so it's not enough just to conserve random isolated spaces. We need to make all the spaces um, functional for people and critters. People need nature too. Yeah, right. Not And not just in a national park 500 miles away, but in your local environment too, in your town. You're saying people need this information. They need to, to make good decisions based on information. But some, some of this stuff is hard. So how do you make it more palatable, more appetizing? There are actually a lot of different websites you can go to. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's the international group that reads all of the scientific publications about climate change. And then they summarize all of those publications and they semi, it's every couple of years, they'll put out a summary for policymakers. And that is a really easy way to digest the information. It's not written for scientists. It's written for general public. There are many different websites. It's just anytime you go on the web, you have to be careful what you're taking in and make sure it's from a reputable scientific source and not your crazy uncle, right? It has to be something you trust. But that's part of the problem, isn't it? People aren't very good at discerning what a good source is. They might not consider an international organization. I mean, the minute you say United Nations to some people, it sets off a red flag in their head. So it seems to me like some of the other stuff you're doing, this it's almost, I hate to w use the word stealthy, but you know, shows like The Octonauts, you're, you're really making it, you're getting good information across in a way that is really painless and in a way that people aren't necessarily going to be suspicious of. There's no finger pointing. There's no political parties. There's no um, blame. It's just, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. Um, so it's very action oriented and not a finger pointing. That's also why I make some of my own videos for my class so that it's coming from, from their professor, someone that they trust. Um, so that, because if I just throw websites at them, they don't, and, and I make even cartoon videos sometimes for my class. <laughs> they have to be fun and easy to take in. Susie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Listeners can share this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, by email, LinkedIn, or your favorite social media platform. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshmi Narayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.